0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 479 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host Jason, and we're going to continue our weekly coverage of the X-Men Wolverine event, 10 lives and 10 deaths of Wolverine. Uh, This time we have the 10 lives of Wolverine number 2. So that's where we will spend the majority of our time. But also, probably equally of import, or at least, I guess, hype. And I've seen a lot of really positive responses to this out on X-Twitter. Sabretooth number 1, our story that follows up on Sabretooth after he got thrown in the pit could come way back in the beginning of Box, so I've been a lot kind of up to do about this little series coming out, so I'm pretty excited to get to it, and like I said, it's, you seen know, a lot of really, really, really positive response, um, both in its, just as content as a comic book and, you know, in its potential for uh, social commentary, um, which I'll get into that a little bit, um, you know, I'm... Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where the conversation goes uh, as a one-man conversation. It's hard to hard to bounce too many of those ideas just off myself. <laughs> but I'll definitely, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. But before we get to any of that, of course, we have to talk about our weekly Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic, which is Life of Wolverine number three. So again, written by Jim Zub. Art by Ramon Box. Colors by Hava Tartaglia. Letters by V.C.'s Josephino and production by Annie Cheng and Tim Smith III. So, this one is chapter three The Wanderer. It's really cool because it starts off with like the first screen you see. It's just like a sky full of stars. I only see you. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I only see a full moon. Um, yeah, so in the bottom corner of your phone is this full moon, and then you scroll down, you continue to see stars. And I that, so this chapter was a little bit more interesting. I, you know, my, not really complaint. This has been fine. I guess my uninspiring part of this Little series so far is that it is mostly just kind of recap with not a whole lot of meat to it, other than catching up Wolverine fans who maybe haven't read some of this. This one does a little bit more with the narration and the arrangement, and so you know, I was kind of complaining that even though I had them mixed up, (laughs) I was kind of complaining that maybe Jim Zub didn't have as much to do and why. Want to get a rider of his caliber on for something like this, but I feel like he gets to stretch a little bit more in this one. Um, you know, it's from Gene's perspective, seeing Logan's memories again as he's, his essence is being sent through time, through cerebro. But, um, you know, he talks about uh, Canada, or Gene talks about Canada, you know, um, how that was his home, but his animal side needs to explore. Um, and talk about how he made some trips to the U.S., but you know, they were unsatisfying and how he ended up in Madripoor. And there's a really cool panel and Wolverine sitting on a rooftop with a bottle of whiskey, some sort of alcohol, and um you know, sitting it looks like he's probably in Lowtown. Town. Uh, there's like a string of Christmas lights across the alley and, and kinda of, you kinda of scroll through some green fog of Madripoor down into like the the port. And Wolverine is kinda of stalking the port. Um and you know, it talks about, you know, is an island of outcasts and traitors, treasure, and thieves, and which fits Wolverine fine, but it, there's also a close-up of his face with a big smile, and it says, a perfect place to lose yourself and satisfy hedonistic urges. Which, I mean, you know, Wolverine is... I wouldn't necessarily say he's hedonistic. He definitely is carnal, in the sense that he kind of doesn't put a lot of value past this physical life, so he... Mm-hmm. You know, he tries to live well. Um <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's necessarily like a super partier or, or whatever. But anyway, I can definitely see that, you know, uh, a young adult Wolverine going to Matt or Logan going to Madripoor for the first time. Uh And that kind of feeling of invincibility anyway that comes with being a young adult for a lot of people. I know not everyone has it. You know, there's people that, that, you know, deal with depression and other things that kind of Maybe curb that natural sense of I'm just kind of feeling unstoppable that a lot of people have in their late teens and early twenties. I you know I kind of had some of that myself, and you know, just kind of feeling like you know seeing people. Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. I you know having dealt with depression and stuff like that, I, I don't always identify with that as much, but I definitely know that that's kind of the commonality, or or at least the common perception is that people of that age. Either feel unstoppable or put on a face of bravado and and you know portray that or project that. Um, how many how much people really feel that? I don't know. I certainly did it, but you know I don't know. I don't really know. I'm trying to go with that. So we'll keep moving through the story because that's what we're here for. Um, and it talks about him meeting Seraph and how she was small in size with towering presence. And she wanted both the man and the beast, and you know, as a silhouetted um, scene of them making love, and then um, him going fighting through Maggiapor, and then so Zub does something a little cool here, is he kind of brings in some stuff that we find out much much later, um, you know, about his manipulation with the hand and Romulus. Um, You know, I know not everyone likes to see Romulus pop back up, but it is a pretty key part of Wolverine's history. Um, And then it it talks about a trip to Tokyo where he meets Sabretooth for the first time and how that, you know, it's not a random encounter and it it pulls back to the Origin 2 story where Logan killed Saul Creed and Victor has been on the hunt for revenge since then. And how this kind of kicks off a bloody vendetta that will carry on for over a century. And there's a cool scene of a young Victor, kind of split in half, like just pants and no shirt, and then his kind of '80s uniform, or maybe even really a '70s uniform as well, but the the brown-orange uniform with the fur trim um, looks pretty cool. Um, we talking about how Wolverine kind of gets tired of the, or Logan gets tired of the violence. Is fine for the beast, but unsatisfi- unsatisfactory for the man. And so he decides to take a break and leave and goes back to Canada, where he finds Silver Fox and has a time of happiness, until Sabretooth comes along and murders Silver Fox on Wolverine's birthday. Of course, the classic issue from Wolverine 10. And there's even a recreation of that cover, the one by Bill Sankiewicz. um, without the pointy... Uh, on this time. Actually, there's no feet at all to see in this picture. But anyway, what I like about this and where I think, you know, Zub actually got to get a little bit creative in kind of how he arranged this was talking about connecting their first meeting to Sabertooth's kind of want for vengeance against Logan for killing his brother and using that as the impetus for eventually catching back up and starting the tradition of attacking and trying to ruin Wolverine's birthday. Um, you know, I, don't, I thought it kind of flew together pretty well, and then we go, like, into World War One, and that's where we're to be continued. So, again, not a whole lot of new information, and, but really kind of connecting the dots for stuff that you would have to read kind of a whole lot of different stories at very different times in publication history to put all this together. So it actually feels a little more, I guess, useful (laughs) than the first two and actually kind of laying out some stuff in order and kind of connecting the dots and giving that a through line to the rivalry between Sabretooth and Logan. Um, Anyway, not necessarily like adding anything new this time, but you know, allowing Zub to kind of creatively put things in a different order, or actually spell out the order in one place, was was nice. So, I mean, I'm still gonna give this like three out of six claws, but I, I enjoyed it more than the first two. So anyway, that's the life on Wolverine number three, and my phone is about to die, so good thing we're done with that because <laughs> it is like it. now. So, anyway, that's going to take us then into the 10 Lives of Wolverine number two. So, um, this is Forgotten Past or 10 underscore two or X2, written by Benjamin Percy, which, by the way, friend of the show, Clint, just met Benjamin Percy at, I didn't really catch the name of the con, but one of the cons, one of the various cons. And and, of course, uh, when he asked for a picture, Benjamin was like, well, yeah, I will, but i got to get my claws out. And he got some of his markers he was signing stuff with and, and put them between his hands to make a Wolverine claw, which he thought was really awesome. Because one of the things I love about Benjamin Percy... And also, hi, Clint. <laughs> one of the things I love, and maybe hi, Ben, if you ever decide to listen. But anyway, I can tell he just absolutely loves Wolverine. And loves his history and all the all stuff good and bad baggage that comes with that um you know Percy is seems to be very very passionate and knowledgeable he knows the voice you know whether we love every single issue or not then we love most of them right okay and well so my my program just kind of stopped recording for no reason so I lost the end of what I said there but basically what I was saying and I don't actually I even remember what I just said about 10 minutes ago in real time. But I'm just really, really glad that you know Benjamin Percy's is not only out there writing his best Wolverine comics, but living his best Wolverine life. And thank you, Clint, for for posting that picture. That was really cool. I was really happy to see it. Um, yeah, so anyway, Ten Lives of Wolverine number two. I'm really kind of bummed that I lost what I said there. <laughs> out in the ether somewhere. Somewhere... Some spirit somewhere will hear it and and revel in it, but the rest of us will just forget it <laughs> all right, so I was a little confused when I first opened this issue because oh wait the rest of the creators before I and yeah sorry I went on a tangent about Percy and just then the whole crashing of my software and everything just kind of threw me for a loop so. Right, Benjamin Percy's the writer. Joshua Casara, of course, is the artist. Uh, Frank Martin, the colorist. VC's Corey Pettit, who Letters in production, and Tom Mueller by doing the design. Um, Adam McHubert and Frank Martin did the cover. And um, by the way, Joshua Casara is just really awesome, too. While I'm, I'm highlighting and, and speaking my love for Benjamin Percy, I gotta say, Casara's been really fun. Um, yeah, posted it like an, an unused. Drawing from uh, Ten Lives Number One of Omega Midwife, which you know, hopefully you went and listened to the House of X episode that I was on, and I talked about it a little bit on a couple episodes ago for us here as well. But um, like I said, whether it's just in the zeitgeist and all at the same time or whatever, but you know, we called that ca- the character Omega Midwife, and then. And Joshua Casara also mentioned it on Twitter, and so he uh, he posted an extra drawing, and I said, "Oh yes, more M- Omega Mega wife." And he's like, "You know it." So, <laughs> oh, just really cool. He just he's really seems to be just really fun, and seems to enjoy interacting with fans. Which you know, I, I know a lot of creators on Twitter do. You know, particularly will respond very graciously to uh, compliments and stuff like that. But to actually kind of like have fun with us was was really cool i really really enjoyed that um so yeah joshua cassara has my he's got my heart (laughs) anyway um yeah so cover on this one and i did not get any variant covers for this one and didn't really actually see any at the shop either i haven't really looked i may try to find some more um i did get the box with all my all my variants for 10 lives and 10 deaths number one, so I will open those up and maybe do like a short video for Twitter and Facebook. But, um, Anyway, this cover is a very young James Howitt in the snowy wilderness standing on top of a rock. Claws up in the air. You know it's cold because his voice, is, not his voice, his breath is foggy. And then in the background is uh, Jean in the cerebro helmet. Um, it's a pretty cool cover. I really like how Kubert draws the young James Howlett, you know, with the bone claws, and just really kind of frail, you know, a guy's, his ragtag clothing's been running around the wilderness, very, very lean. Um, just, it's a really cool look, a really cool cover. So, definitely dig this cover quite a bit. All right, so when I opened the book, though, I was a little confused, and I think I made sense of it pretty quickly, but because when we left number one, we had the very straightforward, not very straightforward, because we had a lot of questions. Uh, me and Dylan and Regina had some questions about kind of where the story was going, but um, and good questions, not like, oh, where's this going, but, oh, where's this going? <laughs> um, anyway, so we left off in the first chapter, remember, with Logan having gone back in passed and saved Xavier in his childbirth from a time-traveling Omega Red uh, possessing people, and then when that mission or part of the mission was over Gene took him to his Team X days in Central America which I know Marvel has a sliding timeline so I don't know if it's still in the 60s. with The cooling out and quote unquote ageless character like Wolverine is his timeline doesn't have to slide as much. (laughs) It can still be in the 60s or in this case like we're about to see the 1900s. You don't have to adjust that up like you do with like you know, the Punisher, you know, instead of being in Vietnam now, he probably served in a different war. Or even, like, Reed Richards, instead of having World War II Adventures with Steve Rogers, was probably, you know, if he's even... I don't even know if he's still considered, like, a veteran in comic day now. But if he did, it would have had to have been, like, Gulf War or something like that, right? Um, you know, you can't... Part of the... I don't know. I don't think they... I know D C did the thing for a while where they came up with like a textual and story reason for why the characters just age slower and so they actually span the whole like publication history. <laughs> I don't think Marvel's ever tried to do that. They've always had more of a just the benchmarks and the goalposts in the past move forward as, as the quote unquote current day moves forward. Um and of course compressed storytelling and all that. But um Anyway, all that to say, that's where we left off, was Wolverine going into his t X body and having the mission there. And we open up this page, this issue, being in 1900 Northern Canada and a time when Wolverine was brawling and some cage fighting. And we see him fighting a polar bear that's chained to a giant stone post. Um, there's some pretty cool inner dialogue. Percy really handles the narration really well. He talks about how Wolverine kind of, actually I'll, just, I'll read this first page. I won't promise I won't read a whole bunch of excerpts from the issue, but it starts off when it says, you ever walk through towering redwoods or stood at the bottom of a canyon bandaged with eons of color? Then you know what it feels like to get dwarfed by history. Forest of outlived nations, abandoned quartz, took a few million years to bake and crystallize. On the one hand, this knowledge makes you feel like a smear of nothing. Which, What kind of Wolverine phrase is a smear of nothing? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> but he says, on the other hand, it makes you feel like a part of everything. A fossil clings to limestone, a flower sprouts in a patch of melting snow. A man plants fields or paints a chapel ceiling or experiments electricity. Some of us are here longer than others, but in that time, we're all doing our damnedest to leave a mark on the planet. I got all the time, and I got no time. I'm gonna, go to put a good dent in the universe, or die trying. <laughs> right, it's just really, it, 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 I like when Wolverine waxes because it's not nothing like groundbreaking. Like he's not like this brilliant philosophist, but it's very just here's the person grappling with his reality and the way he knows how and I and when and Percy nails that really good with Wolverine and really, really well. Um so he's fighting this polar bear and at one point you see the X of the cerebro helmet light up around his head and we know that now Logan, our Logan, our Wolverine, is now inhabiting this younger body. And you're like, Alright, gotta get out of here and he, he Slices the bear jumps up out of the pit and throws a guy into the pit so the bear eats him and grabs some clothes and runs out. And Gene's like, hey, don't want to change the future. Try not to kill a bunch of people. We don't know what that can do. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell that to the bear. <laughs> and, and Gene starts the idea right from page, I don't know, four or five here. One, two, three, four. This whole idea of consequence. So anyway, obviously... I was a little confused because I thought we were going to start this with the TMX story. And now we start with Wolverine jumping into um, this time in the wilderness. And what I think we're seeing here is just that this this travel of his essence through history to protect Xavier is either happening more than one place at once. And we're just not going to see them in order. Not, I'm really not entirely sure. But Gene is with them, so it's definitely still part of the mission. And we'll see that the mission here is to save one of Xavier's ancestors. Um, I think it's his dad. And his dad's Brian, right? And this this one is... What do they say here? It actually takes us a while to get back to this story or this time. But he says... Um, it says Xavier, I guess. I thought it said a first name. As Captain Xavier. So anyway, I it looks it looks very similar to what we saw as kind of the physical makeup of Xavier's dad. But before we can jump there, we see another different time jump. So I guess it's like I said, it's hard to tell if these are all happening at the same time. I mean, what is the same time? They're all in the past, but they're all trying to protect the present. They could I mean they're all in you know, it's time travel, it's hard to explain. <laughs> but yes. So then we go many years ago to Jasmine Falls, Japan, and Logan jumps in, he quantum leaps into the middle of a sex scene with his wife Itsu. And Jean's like <clears throat> and Wolverine's like, Oh come on, just let me stay here a minute and we see them in an embrace and actually Dylan from House of X pointed out I missed this, but there's a nice full page splash of Wolverine, the units who are laying together and they're spooning. And then uh, it seems possessed by Omega Red and sprouts the coils and starts wrapping up a naked Wolverine in the coils. And uh, Dylan pointed out the similarity between this panel and the picture of a naked John Lennon clinging in fetal position, almost to Yoko Ono. I guess which begs the question you know mega red break up the beatles <laughs> just kidding i don't really put a whole lot of stock into yoko's responsible for the demise of the beatles but um anyway uh, it was a funny funny image and a funny comparison and was like what they stole our? they stole my picture <laughs> which i thought again it was funny just love seeing him interact with with fans um but yeah this is some beautiful full-page splash um and Wolverine just kinda of in fetal position, wrapped around it soon. They had just been intimate and suddenly she is possessed. And then we jump right away to Columbia where we left off last issue. And Wolverine starts to have a little bit of a trouble. So he he runs off, abandons his mission. So Maverick and Creedoy, like, oh, what the hell, where's he going? And he's following Ghost Gene and they're running, they're gonna try to so basically Xavier is there um basically protesting deforestation. Um so in his early kind of radical not radical, but um uh I don't know. <laughs> he's uh he's just out there protesting, you know, environmental trying to protect the planet, um, and I guess there's he's in danger of something or just Omega red is trying to get him there. And so Logan is running towards that way, but then he kind of stops and he, he sees the mission that Team X is on, and he's like, I, I, I don't, I don't know about this genie, and he really has kind of this conflict because at the end of this mission, Team X, um, you know, they bust up the drug lab, but they slaughter everybody, and and go after the surrounding villages to make a statement that basically the idea was the people of this, of Columbia need to fear America more than they feel that fear the cartels and so they just leave a, a brutal bloody trail of, of bodies and villages in the jungle um, after they break up this this drug lab and, and Logan, you know, talks about how he has a lot of regrets in life and this is a big one um he said this is the version of myself I hate the most. and then bad things, unforgivable things. And and Gene again brings up the idea of consequence and says, you know, you can't you need to stick to the mission, we got it. We're here to protect Xavier, preserve the timeline, not change stuff. And there's consequences to every action we take outside of like kind of the bare minimum contact. And Wolverine says, consequences, yeah. And I've been the one living with him. And he throws off some gear. I don't think it's supposed to represent anything, any connection to Gene. As we see Gene just kind of standing there, adamantly disappointed. Um, but Wolverine kind of storms off. And he's not abandoning the mission, but it seems like he is going to try to make some changes. And he can't live with his past choices, he hates his past choices, and why would he let all these innocents suffer at the hands of, you know, it's funny, because you get, at least in some of the Larry Hama stories, you get the idea that Wolverine was not necessarily a great guy, but he did try, and you see this in the, in the Origins movie as well, or a take on this, that he at least tried in some ways to temper Creed. Just not very successfully. Like he didn't put him on a leash by any stretch. I mean, you can tell he was kind of uneasy. Here you get the sense almost like he was a full participant and is very, very has a whole lot of regret and a whole lot of weight at least from this mission. Um, so that, kind of that balance, right? Sometimes I feel like you get the sense that Wolverine did what he felt like he had to, but didn't really enjoy it. So and this this story almost makes it feel like. There was a part of him back then that was more than just kind of going along passively, and he wants to change that. So it's really, really interesting take. A really... Well, we'll we'll save my final thoughts on Wolverine's actions here for a few minutes. So so we go back to the recent past, and we see um, an X-Force mission with Wolverine, Domino, and Omega Red. And they're going after um, Maxim Ivanov, uh, the head of what is trying to be an upstart branch of the hellfire club in moscow and they have good information that this guy has rented out a bathhouse all to himself i don't know why you would do that and he almost uh it reminds me of there's that scene in um uh oh not east eastern games is that eastern promises um there's a, in the infamous uh or famous maybe bathhouse fight scene um I wonder if we were going to get some of that. But anyway, they're walking around through the bathhouse. Omega Red cuts the security guard in half, and he goes inside, and he's greeted by the ghost of Mikhail Rasputin. And he says, I want to talk. And he goes in, and with his altering, reality-altering power, which, by the way, they draw visually. Here, Kassara does, like, almost... So, at least in more modern times, Scarlet Witch's reality-altering powers looks very geometric, almost like pulling people apart in shapes, like the cubes especially. And Mikhail here, Kassar, has it look like that. He reaches in to omega Red, he's seeing his body open up in these cubes, and he reaches inside, and he turns off the tracking device and the carbonadium synthesizer and tells omega Red what Krakow has done to him and where he can go to confirm it. And... So, omega Red's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't think I believe you, and, but was like, alright, well go check for yourself, and then he leaves, Wolverine comes in, just as he ghosts away into the fog, and they're like, the one's is a bust. And, so yeah, so there we get a text page about how omega Rand found his files, knocked out Egg, and ran off, just like we saw in the first issue, uh, so we know that the X-Men know that, um... I'm sorry, Krakoa, the mutants, know that. The X-Men is a very more, more specific set. So then we can go back to the 1900s in Northern Canada, and there's an ice ship, or an icebreaker ship, and Captain Xavier is captain of the ship. Um, so I'm trying, this must be more of a grandfather of his 1900, because with the, even without the squatting timeline, if you say Xavier was born in the 40s, maybe to a father who was doing nuclear research i don't think he could be even a very very young captain if that's the case in 1900 that this has to be a grandfather or great-grandfather anyways captain xavier and omega-red is going after ancestors now and so one of the uh, shipmates gets possessed and xavier throws him overboard and he dies on the ice And then the the crew mutinies, and Omega Red hops from crew member to crew member, and they're ready to uh, kill Xavier, and, you know, that's where we leave off. So then we jump back to Columbia, um, and Wolverine comes back out of the forest, shoots Maverick in the knee, tries to shoot Sabretooth, Sabretooth attacks him, of course, and... um, Wolverine says, I've done what I've done. There's no taking it back. But I can take a stab at it. And a big double snick of his bone claws. Pretty cool double snick. Um, and he's literally going to take a stab at trying to change the past. And so he fights Sabretooth, blows him up with a grenade, leaves Maverick there wounded, says he's not going to kill him, but he leaves him there, tells him to get out of the game. And then we see uh, um Calls into Professor, of course, the T-Max Professor, not Xavier, and they're like, "What well, do you want, extraction?" He goes, "No, no, I don't need extraction. I'm just telling you, I'm going to kill Wolverine." Um, so Wolverine has gone off, kind of half-cocked here, and is is possibly changing the past, but now he's given he's to the, a reason to hate Wolverine even more. Now at this point see this is where stuff gets dicey because we still have phone calls we haven't done weapon x yet so we haven't done full like memory implants and there, there i know there's some memory gymnastics and Sabretooth seems to have forgotten like his vengeance quest against logan um so I know that there must have been some mental manipulation even before Weapon X, you know, in the, in the Team X days. And we, yeah, we know that for sure, because they got scrubbed after missions and stuff like that. So he hasn't had the adamantium implanted yet, but they are still monkeying with his brain. Um, sorry, I had a little brain fart there of my own. My, my memory has some holes in it too. Um, so now then we can go back to Japan on that ominous note, and another full-page splash of Itsu and Wolverine fighting naked. <laughs> with the coils we get an awesome snicked uh in a way that only kasari can draw the snicked with the fuzzy letters and stuff and his style looks awesome and wolverine talks about how you know he he came to itsu he quantum leaped in to have one last moment with her before, before her imminent death and he goes but i can't kill her i can't be the one that kill her that's not how this goes i can't it has to be until after doken is born and I guess at this point he says my unborn child so I guess the idea is that um it seems very early in the pregnancy because i can't I can't do it I can't not and we see him slice and there's some black blood splattered across the page. I don't know what he's doing here my eye see it's hard to tell because she doesn't look pregnant yet so if, if she is it's very very early so i I think it's way too early for him to like give her a C-section, <laughs> right, and cut Dawkins out. I don't think that's what's going on. But if he kills her here, then Dawkins never born. And so there's some, you know, pretty strong consequences to Wolverine's kind of flippant reaction to Gene's idea of consequences. Now, so we're in different times doing different things, right? Wolverine is, is trying to catch up to Xavier on the ship. He's almost there when the... Omega pirates <laughs> uh, surround um, and Captain Xavier. Hopefully he'll get there in the nick of time in and, and Chapter 3. Um, we see him in Columbia. Oh, let's do Japan first. We, do, we have Japan where he's really trying hard not to change the present by not having to kill an Omega Itsu before he has Daken, before Daken is delivered and born. So he's trying really, really hard not to change anything. And we have Columbia, where he is trying to change the past and possibly opening up mechanic consequences for himself by giving Sabertooth a reason to try to kill him on that mission. Um, Now, Wolverine takes his responsibilities as an X-Man, a member of X-Force, and whatever this mission he agreed to go on, His honor is going to make him take that very seriously. But Wolverine also has his own... Sense of honor and his own... Character. And the idea that he would put... In the heat of a moment... For example, saving the lives of these villagers... Who are innocent... On that mission to Columbia... He won't intentionally, like, jeopardize... The mission to save Xavier... But it's worth the risk. It's a risk that he is willing to take in the idea of consequence, even though it pisses Gene right off, which, in that respect, yeah, because... <laughs> um, anyway, I, well, I'll try not to do my anti-Gene bias on this episode. Um, but, yeah, so so there's the idea... It's almost, it almost comes across... A selfish and a noble way, if that makes sense. Now, that's hard to maybe explain. Seems like a paradox, right? Because we don't normally apply nobility to selfishness. But but kind of go with me a little bit. So, on the mission in Canada, he's just all out desperation trying to protect Captain Xavier and preserve Xavier's bloodline. And then that's the presence and the dream of Xavier and and everything that happens to Mm -hmm. mutants, right? Um, in Japan, he has a very personal reason for not wanting to change time. That is, A, he doesn't want to actually be the person that kills his wife, because that's just terrible and traumatic. And B, even though they've had a very rocky relationship, he wants to preserve the life of his son, Daken. Um So, yeah, that's noble, but it's also a little selfish. Um, and then, also, I, I really wonder, because, all right, so, you know, obviously the first chapter, he goes and saves Xavier at his childbirth. And then the Canadian scene, we know that he's going to save one of Xavier's ancestors from being murdered by Omega Pirates. And then, we know, even though we haven't seen Omega Red's influence yet, we're assuming it will probably be a villager, or someone, or maybe even, wow, what if he gets in... Maverick, or what if he gets in Sabretooth? Whoa, <laughs> mind blown! Omega Sabretooth, that's ah, uh, that's nasty. <laughs> but anyway, the Columbian mission, he is there. We've already had a reference, he is there to save Xavier. Now, you wonder why Omega Red went to and why Logan jumped to Japan i don't recall there being a reference yet in this scene to xavier connection let me make sure i'm just kind of read some of that again make sure i didn't miss it yeah there's nothing in that scene in the first scene where they're having sexy time and then here where they fight is there any mention of xavier at all there's a cool narration about history punishing him um he talks about and this is after World War Two. He was studying under Bando Sabura, who was teaching him to leave his warrior self behind. And now he's being put to the test, a test I can't pass. Yeah, no, I'm sure there is, but we don't know the connection yet to this Japan scene and Xavier, and the Xavier mission. So, possible Omega Red is, you know, if Wolverine is having to go to multiple times, Maybe Omega Red is also having multiple missions, right? Maybe there's a the mission to end Xavier and maybe before he's born, maybe there's also just a mission to punish Logan and by doing parts of his history as well. Hopefully that'll get spelled out. Not in a rush. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the ride so far, so it's okay if it takes a little bit to get there. But anyway, back to what I was saying about kind of the no the nobility and the selfishness and that balance. Um so it's noble to want to save his wife and his son, but also kind of kind of selfish that that he's not wanting to preserve the past exactly as it was. Um, but then even so alright. So the scene in Columbia is so Wolverine. It really, really is, because there's kind of the recklessness, because Wolverine's a little reckless and impulsive, right? Of of abandoning his mission and going to change the Team X mission, putting the Xavier mission at risk. A, but A, also having just the gumption to feel like he can do both with no problem, <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's, it's cool, Gene. I can go save these villagers and then have plenty of time to save Xavier because I'm a badass Wolverine and I'll be fine. Um, so, there's a the jeopardizing in the mission, but, but also, I truly believe there's this dichotomy or paradox in Wolverine, or, or maybe just a different kind of harmony, but the idea that he, I think, sincerely wants to save the villagers because he doesn't want innocence to be hurt, but there's also an idea of wanting to save the villagers to absolve his guilt because he was a participant in their unjustified and brutal murder. So the, the idea that it's not just that he's putting... Xavier's mission at risk... To save innocent lives... There's also... And that's very, very noble... Right? The idea that I can save these people... Is not too late... But also the idea that he's putting... The whole mission at risk... To ease his guilt... Which is not as noble... It's one more selfish... Um... And those two things... Exist in Wolverine... And I think... If we're all honest with ourselves... Exist in all of us... And you know... I think Percy gets that. Percy gets who Wolverine is, that he is maybe an extreme representation. But he is the the wrestling of all of us between our better and worse decisions, or our better and worse natures. You know, I talked about Hot House of X, and Dylan asked me why I love Wolverine so much, and I talked about the version of Wolverine I love the most, is that guy who is the samurai and the wild animal, um, and tries to do both. And or or tries to shape one into the other and the constant fight inside that goes with that. And I think Wolverine is, is really a, I know he gets some bad rap and there's kind of been some reaction to him sometimes. I think A because he's so popular and people want to, you know, not like the most popular character, which is fine. Get that don't fault anyone for that, you know, I, sometimes I'm that way with some fans, so it's okay, um, but, you know, the idea is that, he really is way more complicated than just a guy with metal claws, that, slices and dices, is here, and this is a perfect example, and why I love the way Percy writes Wolverine so much, and it's not even like stated or spelled out, but I don't think I'm reading something that's not there, I think it is there, um, this idea that he houses both wanting to do things for all the right reasons and then also kind of wanting to do the same things for maybe not as awesome reasons. Um, not that there's anything wrong with trying to um, reconcile or uh, redeem yourself, that can be noble in itself. I'm not sure this is as much redemption as it is just wanting to erase a bad part Because redemption is wrestling with something you did and doing better or trying to make up for it in the present. changing the past is not necessarily redemption i i that's a whole that's a whole different conversation I guess but um I don't know i I'm kind of out I kind of chasing a few philosophical rabbits here but Basically, the gist of what I love so much about that scene is that he is both, and he's very complicated, and I love that Percy gets that. Um, so anyway, yeah, this is a, a great chapter. The art's fantastic. I mean, Kasara is just hitting a home run here. Um, the story's really good. Like I said, it has some questions, but they're all questions that are not taking away from this story. They're they're just part of the ride to the floor, and it's cool. Um, yeah, man, I'm loving this book. I really am. Um, I'm going to give uh, Ten Lies and Wolverine number two six out of six claws. Um, just really, really good, both in plot and in character development. Um, yeah, just really, really love this issue quite a bit. It's, it's a really, really strong issue. So six out of six claws for sure. Alright, so let's go then. I spent way more time on that than I thought I would. There's a lot more for me to chew on than I originally... You know, Sometimes you start talking about something and you just the stuff starts flowing. And here we are now, <laughs> 40 minutes later. And yeah, there you go. So but I definitely want to save some time for Sabretooth. Sabretooth number one. And let's get to the credits here. This is uh, written by Victor... Creed. No, just kidding. Uh, Victor Laval, LaValle. LaValli? I'm not sure which one. Um, uh, Leonard Kirk is the artist. Irene Barreto is the colorist. V.C.'s Corey Pettit. Woohoo! It's the winner. Uh, Tom Mueller, of course, does design. And the cover is by Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin. Um, this is the house that Sabretooth haunts or the adversary. Uh, the cover, which we've seen for a while. If you've seen any kind of advert for this book at all, or just any X-Men stuff related at all. You've seen this cover quite a bit. It's an awesome cover by Stegman. It's uh, The only thing I would say, and I I like Frank Martin a lot, I noticed, because I, I, for a brief second, had this as my avatar, and then I went with the black and white version instead. Putting it in my avatar, it was kind of hard to see what was going on, because everything's kind of the same shades of black and yellow. (laughs) Uh, Because the tooth crouched in front of the Krakoa tree in the flames of symbolic hell, and he's got this just great Ryan Stegman saber tooth grin, which I'm not complaining, but, I mean, it's very similar to the Ryan Stegman venom grin. I mean, he does an evil grin really well. Stegman's got that down. (laughs) Uh, Much like Norm Brayfogle, or I heard some of the other guys that just do awesome grins. Um, You know, Mark Silvestri, um, I know as much as people hate him, Rob Liefeld did a really good evil grin. So, anyway, yeah, it's a pretty nice cover. The, the colors make it a little hard to see if you don't get, like, right up in your face, but it's still a pretty cool cover. All right. So, we start off with Saber 2 saying, I am in hell, and we see the Quiet Council, um, his quote-unquote trial? Um, from hawkspox, and it's really funny because he he's passing judgment on on the council. Um, you know, he says, "Look at these clouds. How does Xavier even see out of that helmet?" And I passing judgment on anyone is a laugh. I admit I've always liked Purple Thunder style, and the idea that Sabretooth calls Apocalypse Purple Thunder is freaking awesome. <laughs> and then when he he pans to Storm, Jean, and Nightcrawler. And he calls them the kids' table, which I laugh so hard at. Um, he says they'll always look like, look like they're playing a dress up to me. And then he calls uh, Emma and Sebastian Merchant and Ivory Productions presents, which is it's uh, funny. Um, and then the Rainbow Gang of Sinister Exodus and Mystique. And he basically threatens the whole council. Says I'm not going to take this sitting down. I'm going to kill you all, and I'm going to kill your friends and your kids and everything and then he's he's grabbed by vines into the pit and away he goes and he promises to escape and exact his vengeance and then we see a scene of Sabretooth sitting in a snowy forest and he says told you and he's running around and he fights a bear and he talks about how he knows who he is and he's fine with it and you know, many he says most people tell fairy tales about themselves. I've always known what I am, and he tears the face off the Grizzly Bear. <laughs> and then the X-Men show up: uh, Cyclops, Nightcrawler, Jean, Wolverine, of course, and Storm. And they're here to take him back in after he escaped. But he, really gruesome scene. He cuts Cyclops' visor and face off. <laughs> Letting his optic blast shoot loose, and then Sabretooth grabs him like a gun, and shoots all the X-Men, and you know, the concussive optic blast, and he, he destroys and obliterates Storm, Jean, and Wolverine, um, and Wolverine, you know, you would think he'd probably be able to get up, but we don't in this story anyway. And so it's just Nightcrawler left, and Nightcrawler, after just seeing his friends brutally murdered, teleports his See I'm not sure about this. So he teleports over to Victor and Savrates like, yeah, he's gotta get close. Gives me an advantage. I don't think he can Can Nightcrawler teleport like like a phase? Because he does like a kitty pride thing here. So he teleports in but he teleports his hand into Sabertooth's chest, but the rest of his body not. I don't know if that makes sense for teleport. I don't know. Maybe it does. You, you put your atoms where you want them to go, but there's always had the sense that Nightcrawler just teleports to different locations, not that he can... I don't know. Either way, getting in close to Sabertooth's advantage, Sabertooth bites him in the jugular, and tosses cuts his arm off and tosses him aside. So he's still got this arms sticking out of his chest. And he pulls it out and it's got his own heart in Nightcrawler's fist and he's just looking at it. But he says, No regrets. I've always known who I am. But then he blacks out and wakes up in a interrogation room in a prison cell. And it's really cool. Doug Ramsey walks in with a, a warlock briefcase <laughs> and says he wants to give. Sabretooth, an option. He and Krakoa have conspired... to... allow Sabertooth to have mental freedom... when he can't have physical... like they can't let him out. Can't do what they did for Mystique and Destiny. Um, or even Nature Girl... in that X-Men Green storyline. But they will let him... have mental freedom. Like basically he can fantasize about whatever he wants. So you get the idea then that... even the scene we just saw... of course we knew the X-Men weren't dead... But that was, like, just in San head. And here uh, San like, no, and he cuts off Warlock's head, but Warlock's head is, I'm sorry, Doug's head, but Doug's head is still talking to him. And San like, fine, I guess I don't have a choice. And he's, he signs the document. And then we get a text page, really interesting text page about what is prison for. And it's a really good question. And I know, Grant, I don't know if you were planning on reading this, But I would highly recommend it, just based on previous conversations we've had about justice system and stuff like that. I think you would enjoy some of the question of the institution um, that this book presents. It spells it out in the text page. It asks, you know, is it to punish, to rehabilitate, to alter... Talks about different civilizations. Some had like prisons underground. Some used prisoners as slaves. Um, Even talks about in our country here in America um, in the past where California used prisoners to fight uh, wildfires and men, women, and teenage prisoners uh, were sent and paid $3 a day to do this work. Um, And the question is, who's the prison for? There's been all kinds of, I would say scandals, but Maybe there's, I don't know. Maybe it's more just expectation sometimes, and not as scandalous as I would like to believe that it should be, because um, it should be. But you know, of like, you know, prisons and especially some privately funded prisons, like that should not even exist. But um, you know, uh, using prisoners. I don't just mean like like terrible, terrible stuff like sexual and physical abuse, but like like taking advantage of them putting them in jobs and not paying them um, correctly, not compensating, um, promising things in return for for work, or just forcing them to work against their will. Uh, You know, all that stuff is terrible, terrible stuff. And it does beg the question. And, you know, I think it's a complicated question. And I think this book treats it like a complicated question. It doesn't say... I don't know. Victor... Laval or Lavallee may completely be like yeah abolish and start over and I don't know I I, I struggle with the question because I think there does have to be some way to handle those who cannot interact with society I don't think we're doing it right I don't know what the right answer is and anyway I don't want to really get into that because I I know there's a lot of valid, valid arguments for how society has to function. I will say corruption at any level should not just be swept under the rug. And people being abused in any way, physically, sexually, emotionally, psychologically, anything, should not be tolerated. Um, If there is any sort of social requirement for prison as we know it, it has to be cleaned up. I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, Anyway, but this book asks a lot of really important questions. Um, And to be fair, I'm I'm saying I'm not sure if there is or not. (laughs) I'm just saying if there is, it's got to be done better. Um, So, and I'm still arguing with myself on the answer to that. So, I don't want to pretend to be holier than thou on on either perspective. um, From the quote-unquote right or left, progressive, non-progressive, it's I think it's a very, very complicated issue. I just know we're not getting it completely right. And I'm not sitting from a place of judgment saying I know what the final answer should be. I'm just... I think it's a very, very important conversation that a lot of people just kind of don't have, right? It's just, oh, it's, we're, we're fine. We don't need to talk about it. And we do. Um, anyway, enough of that. Enough of me being preachy. That's not really my intent here. Um, but so has, so he does. He has his wildest dreams, and in these dreams he slaughters and gets revenge on Xavier. We even get a nice callback where he goes and cuts off both hands of Iron Fist. <laughs> and then he slaughters the X-Men. And it's really fun because one of the scenes he does he massacres all of the other, like, feral Marvel creatures. So we have, like, Werewolf by Night, uh, feral actually, a uh, Wild Child, like, all these kind of Sabertooth and Wolverine knockoffs, if you will. and He goes and kills them all to prove he's the alpha dog. Um, but then he's left with, what do I do next? And he goes back to what he stated before, that his superpower, quote-unquote, was knowing exactly what he was. And he's like, well, yeah, that was true, but what am I going to be now? And, you know, he really kind of has a philosophical debate with himself. Then we get this interesting thing where he sets up the Feral Council. And in the basement, which looks a lot like the basement that we remember for Sabretooth's past where he was chained up as a kid um, from both you know Larry Hama stories and other stories, he sets up this table in the basement and it's him. He's the captain. And this is our Sabretooth in a suit, which is a Sabretooth I always love to see. Um, and just a high-fashion Sabretooth. And then he has the boy and the beast. So the boy is the boy that we know from the past who was abused and locked up. And then we have the beast is this particular version is like the 90s costume, which is, you know, similar to also kind of the current Hawks uh, Fox costume. Um, with brown and yellow tiger stripes and the fur collar. And they all sit down. And there's also a cat, which I'm not, I feel, they really focus on the cat. So I feel like it's important I'm not really sure exactly what the connection is just yet. But anyway, he says, you know, we can do anything we want. We can decide how we're going to spend eternity. And they talk about how fun it was to kill everybody in Fantasyland. Um, and they really did enjoy it. Like, this isn't Sabretooth, like, turning over and being a good guy. He really, really enjoyed getting his revenge fantasies. Like, he loved it. And all three versions of him loved it. <laughs> and they say, Who you know, you know who really made a racket when he died and in unison, they're sitting at the table, they all go, Banshee And so they're like, Well, what are we gonna do next? And so it's really fun. They set it like, by these different like realities that he sets up in the pit in his mind. Um, there's King Creed, there's Barbarian Creed, um and he talks about this mark of the saber tooth, which is like a little new saber tooth logo. And he leaves it everywhere. And then there's a Starjammer creed, and he has the mark on his, the emblem, and the logo on his chest, and he's Corsair's role uh, as leader of the Starjammers. But then there's a weird thing where Black Tom is in the garden of Kokoa, and this same version of Starjammer Sabretooth forms in the vegetation just for a second. And Black Tom's like, huh. And then some other people feel like they see Sabretooth. Actually the uh, the blue Violin lady from that obscure X Factor story uh sees a ghost of Sabretooth. Blob sees him drinking at the Green Gate and says, Oh well, I'm just drunk. Um the uh not the shrew, the um it's not the mole, the guy in the, the that the Mollock that Sabretooth slaughtered, who's obviously been resurrected. Has sees him, but thinks it's just another nightmare because he has nightmares about Sabertooth all the time. And why wouldn't he? And we see, like, just this double page, double page splash of these realities that Sabertooth sets up in his mind, where and he becomes the king of hell for Krakoa. Now it's a mental hell, but he's there. But then something weird happens mutants fall into the pit, which Samertooth was assured he would never have company. He was down there by himself. He was the example. They would not use it again, which is, you know, obviously if there's anything I, I wish was in this book, was some kind of connection or mention that we already did have other people come into the pit with uh, Nature Girl and Curse and the German Shepherd. I forget the name. Now, I don't know if just missed that or whatever, but anyway. Um, So we have some new mutants that come down. Necra, Madison Jeffries, Oya, which I don't know why she's here. I hope, if anything, I hope we get a little explanation of why these people are here and why they're all sent at the same time. We also have Meltra, which I believe, I did not have time to look this up, but I should have, I'm sorry. I think that's from that Jack Kirby Magneto story from the Captain America Annual. (laughs) <laughs> I think Malkin was one of those guys. Um, and Third Eye, who I don't, I'm not real familiar with him. Um, anyway, they come down to hell, or to the pit, and so King Sabertooth. if it was all in his mind, he's at least dressing the part in reality, because he's got on like almost a little Loki helmet with horns, and a red cape like a demon, and a red sash, and he's like, welcome to hell! And that's it. So, alright. First of all, Larenkirk draws this really well. It's very bloody and gory as a Sabretooth book should be. But it's not, it doesn't feel like shallow gore. Like, it's part of Sabretooth's character journey. Which is looking pretty rad at this point. Um, Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of meat in this book. Um, Sabretooth kind of, Deciding what he's going to do. It's really funny because you get to this point in the book where he's fantasized about killing and revenging everybody he's ever wanted to. And he's kind of left with that empty feeling. Like, okay, well maybe it didn't satisfy me as much as I wanted it to. And he decides what to do next. And what he decides to do next is not noble. What he decides to do next is fantasize about him being basically the most important man in the universe and then he sets up Literally a mutant hell, and then the first thing he does when he gets the surprised guest is like, "I'm gonna put you through hell." It is a cool line, though. What does he say? He says, um, "Let me go back to the page." He goes, um, "I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna practice on all of you, and once I get real good at putting you through hell, I'm gonna do the same to every mutant on the island." So he's he's still very much. If revenge was empty in Fantasyland. Maybe revenge in real life won't be, <laughs> and there's no new leaf here. I want to be very, very clear. And I think that so our it's complicated again because you do hear stories where people do find a better sense of themselves, and there, we do have stories of actual, true, sincere rehabilitation through the penal system. There's also a lot of not, and how much of the good justifies the bad, I don't know. But there seems to be some comment here, at least from the writer's perspective, that incarceration did not allow Sabertooth to turn over and leave. It allowed him to, and maybe, I, well, we'll put a pin in that, but it allowed him to really embrace and live out kind of the worst parts of himself, Maybe in a different way, but I mean, the first chance he gets is he's about to be a nasty, sadistic saboteur that we all know and love. Now, one thing that maybe undermines that, or you could point to, is that had Doug and Krakoa not intervened and given him the mental chance to kind of live out his worst revenge fantasies with just time in a dark hole with no, the sense of deprivation, all that goes with it, would that have changed Sabretooth? Now remember, and we're, we're getting there in our flashback episodes, Xavier took on quite the mission to try to rehab Sabretooth in the 90s. Um, and to the point, you know, one would argue it was even mildly successful. I mean, for a while, you you know, he was on X Factor, and he wasn't as bad of a guy, really, even all the way up until like Axis, right? And as much as I hate Axis, it did kind of give us a little bit of a a good reason. I don't know. I don't know if the reset on Sabre Truth is good or not, but we have this story, and it's good. (laughs) So, anyway, the art's really good, the story's really good, and it it definitely poses some interesting questions and. is going to use a very violent character a repeat offender in Sabretooth, I think, to explore some of those questions, and I think it's a valid approach. So, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good first issue, and it's very much Sabretooth, but also adding some some depth and some, if not to the character, at least adding some deep topics to the conversation around how Krakoa has treated the character. And we know, like, I think cracks are showing in coca big time anyway. Um, So this is maybe just another way to explore that. But it feels like there's something else going on as well. So I really appreciated the writing and the story and everything. Um, I don't think I'm quite to six out of six, though. I think, you know, like I said, I saw just a ton of people saying, like, this is the best Two story ever already after one issue, which uh, maybe a little early to say that. But, yeah, it's pretty good. Um... I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna say number one, five out of six claws. Very high mark. Not quite perfect for me, but but definitely really really enjoyed it. So there you go, man. All right. Um, just real quick to wrap up. You know, I talked about Devil's Reign number two because we had that uh, Superior Four team, which was a play on the 90s Fantastic Four lineup that had Hulk, Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Wolverine. And as part of Devil's Reign, Dr. Octopus pull, pull these alternate versions of characters to make his own Fantastic Four, the Superior Four. Now, they had their own tie-in book. And in that, it revealed that they are all these different versions of Otto Octavius. So, I, I didn't talk about that book when it came out, because even though there was this Wolverine-type character, it was Dr. Octopus with adamantium arms and wearing a Wolverine cowl is the way it played in that book now Devil's Reign number 3 which I'm not going to really cover but I just want to mention for a second they do talk about that maybe these are all superior Spider-Man situations so instead of Hulk Wolverine and Ghost Rider being Otto Octavius with different powers maybe they're Otto's mind in those actual characters bodies like we did like Otto went into Peter Parker's body for Superior Spider-Man because he says you're all in the, all in the body of your hated enemy, is one of the lines he says in, in Devil's Reign number three, so maybe it is actually Logan's body with Otto Octavius' mind from that dimension. Now I don't know if I should cover this book or not. I mean, I'm enjoying Devil's Reign. So you know, three out of six, not three out of six clause, three out of six chapters is what we're on. Part 3, Issue 3. And, you know, it's, it's a fun story. Uh, you know, Luke Cage running for mirror to try to oppose Fisk legally. He's outlawed humans. Um, there's a part where, uh, you know, Thing and Human Torch busted in jail to save Ben Riley, Spider-Man. The Purple Man's kids decide they're gonna go kill their father, who is being held by the Kingpin. Um, our heroes debate on whether they should attack Kingpin or not. Daredevil decides they will. And that's where they fight our superior four. Um, I will say Chicheno drawing Wolverine whether it's Wolverine or not. Looks pretty great. Um, but yeah. And so they, they do that. We find out the chameleon was Iron Man. He was in kind of the info leak. And then Foggy gets beat up by Kingpin's men. I mean, it's, it's been a pretty good story. And the art's really good. Uh, just, you know, just, heads up. Uh, write, written by Chick Zdars- Chip Zdarsky. Art by Marco Coquetto. Colors by Marcio Minez, Colors by Clinton Cow Or letters by Clinton Cowles, And the covers by Chichetto Shadow and Matthew Wilson. Um, it's a cool cover. It's got Daredevil and Captain America hiding behind a brick wall from the Thunderbolts troops while Luke Cage and Jessica Jones embrace each other like in the background. Um it's been a good story. I would probably give this like a solid four out of six claws, five. I don't know. I think I'm actually enjoying the Daredevil Woman Without Fear tie-in a little bit more than the main series, but the main series has been pretty good. Um, Yeah, I would give Devil's Reign like a, if I was going to grade it, four out of six. So, anyway, that's going to be our episode, guys, and gals, and others. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. We're, we're in some good books right now. So, like I said, I'm going to try to keep up the weekly schedule still. And we'll also try to get Scalabros on in the next couple of weeks to talk about the books that have come out since then, since they are not all on hold, like I thought. <laughs> um, so hopefully that will come up soon. Um, but yeah, as always, if you want to like the Facebook page, you can do that. Twitter is at SnitCast show notes and stuff at Um and yeah, if you want to join the Bub Club, it's really easy. Membership may be obtained by listening to an episode and enjoying it. <laughs> See, easiest club to get in in the whole world. Um, so welcome to the Bub Club, guys. Y'all, y'all, I'm trying to quit saying guys so much, it's a hard habit to break, but I'm you know, at both work and employee. I'm trying to quit saying it so much. So, please bear with me. I'm making a sincere effort. Um, but, yeah. I've, I've been saying that my whole life. So, it's a little tough. But, I'm trying. I'm trying. I really am. So, anyway. Um, y'all. Um, hope you enjoyed the episode. Please stay safe and well out there. And, we'll talk again soon. So, until next time. hugs and Snicks, everyone. Bye-bye.